eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Boston Loose Baseball, Episode 60. We will break down what has been a really tough start to June for the Nationals. Another series and another frustrating few games against the Marlins. Plus, we'll look ahead at the upcoming schedule. And Paul Skeens was unbelievable for LSU. If he's available, is there any chance the Nats don't take him with the number two overall pick coming up in a few weeks? We will discuss all of that on Bustin' Loose Baseball, episode 60, right now. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball. I'm Grant Paulson, as always, joined by Toby Altizer. He's still continuing his baseball jaunt in the Midwest. Toby, you haven't missed much back here in terms of <laughs> Nationals baseball. I know you've been watching all the games, but... Now, 0-6 against the Marlins after being swept again. I took the kids on Sunday out to the ballpark for Father's Day, which meant I actually got to watch way less of the game than if I was at home because we were getting ice cream and chasing around Screech and trying to find the presidents and getting uh, you know the little mini helmets for uh, my son in the uh, team store. But uh, what a weekend for the Nationals at home trying to get a win against the Marlins. They just couldn't pull it off. Miami's got their number. Yeah, apparently they just can't beat the Marlins. I mean, they've played fairly well at times, but whether it's they can't put runs on the board or they do put runs on the board and the bullpen can't hold it, I mean, it's it's disappointing to watch them lose to a team like the Marlins who, look, it's not like the Marlins are great, but they're also not bad. But you'd like to at least see one win against this team. It's, it's still the Marlins. You know, it's one thing if it's the Braves or even if the Mets were doing something or the Phillies, but it seems like we always kind of look at the Marlins as an afterthought in this division, yet we can win games against the other teams, but apparently they cannot beat the Miami Marlins, which is frustrating, but it is what it is. I mean, maybe what happened early in the season just wasn't sustainable for the Nationals where they were playing. I would say they're still playing competitive baseball, but they were actually winning some of the ball games. They're still playing competitive, unlike some of the games last year, but at the same point, they're not winning any any of these things. So how competitive are you if you're never winning? Yeah, I mean, they're a way better team than they were last year, I think, just in general. And some of the things that they needed to happen this season, Toby, are happening. 
you know, we talked at the beginning of the year about kind of keeping our eyes on the prize here. Like, let's not get lost among a tree or two in the forest, right? This is about young pitching and Mackenzie Gore and Josiah Gray. And those two guys have thrown the ball pretty well. Uh, this is about getting more out of C.J. Abrams and K. Barrett Ruiz. And while I don't know that their progress has been linear, and certainly in Abrams' case, you know, there have been some frustrations in the field and that the offense still hasn't come the way you want. Both are hitting for more power. There's been some encouraging signs. There's been some really good things even on the veteran side. You know, they might be able to flip a couple of the guys this year that they've brought in here or that they have on the roster for something at the deadline in a way that last year you know, it didn't work out the way they wanted to with Nelson Cruz and you know a couple of the other guys that they ended up holding on to. Uh, I don't know if they're going to trade Lane Thomas or not, who homered again yesterday. He's got 11 home runs. He's got a higher OPS in right field right now than uh, Bryce Harper does coming back from injury in Philadelphia, as an example. He's having a really good year, and and I've been immensely impressed by him. I'm, I'm starting to think the guy's just a good baseball player. He's outstanding defensively. He hits for some power. He runs the base paths pretty well. Uh, there's a lot to like about Lane Thomas, but you know I think he's the kind of guy now you got to move and, and try to get a prospect for. But I know Nats fans are, are inevitably going to maybe want to see him hang, but whether it's him or Jamer Candelario or even Trevor Williams, possibly uh, they're going to be able, you know, I'm not saying to get elite prospects, but to maybe flip those guys for something. And so uh, in general, even though things are ugly right now, like the month of June has been gross. They are three and 11 this month. They've been outscored by 26 runs. They've kind of crashed back down to earth. This is a lot more like last year, you know, after about seven or so weeks of playing 500 ball with an even margin. I think that the big picture, if you go up in a helicopter 10,000 feet above Nats Park, you know, this is still a, you know, a lot better than it was last year. And, and I still feel like they're closer to being competitive again. And maybe I would have anticipated at the start of the season. Yeah, I mean, you can see the hope. Like you mentioned, you see good things out of Gore and Gray. You'd like to see a little bit more out of Ruiz and Abrams. But at the same point, you're starting to see a little bit more of who those guys are. And maybe it's not as good as you'd like, but you're at least getting some development with those guys. And I think the big thing that's happened this season is Lane Thomas. Like you mentioned, it's going to be an interesting balancing act. If you're act, if you're Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez, you obviously want to capitalize on his value right now, which is, I would think decently high. I wouldn't say that you're going to get a top prospect for it, but you're going to get, I would say a better player than you would have expected at the beginning of the year. If you were to look at trading Lane Thomas, but at the same point, if you're the Nationals, how hard is it to continue to trade these guys and then bring guys up that really aren't qualified? Because right now you're going to bring up, what, Alex Call to play in his spot? And so the baseball and the product on the field is just going to get worse by moving Lane Thomas? Look, long term, that obviously makes a lot of sense. But you also have to understand, too, and Davey talked about it at the beginning of the year. Mike Rizzo talked about it at the beginning of the year. And maybe it's just coach talk, GM talk. But they want to compete in games, and you also want these guys to still be playing in, you know, decent spots, right, where they're trying to win baseball games. You don't want it to become where you're only scoring a run every game. I mean, honestly, if you take out Lane Thomas in that Miami series, how many runs are they scoring? Lane Thomas was a big part of the offense and even maybe had a chance that was taken away by Victor Robles, which I want to talk about a little bit. But I, I think that 
Overall, though, some of the guys have shown that you you can move them. Like Jamer Candelario is another one that you mentioned. And if you're able to move him really for anything, I think that's what Rizzo's tried to do over the last couple of seasons is bring in some guys on short-term deals that can show some value and they can flip at the deadline. And that's exactly worked out with Jamer Candelario. And hopefully they can get maybe an arm that can help them in the future, just out of the bullpen or something. But I, I think overall this season has been much better than what maybe we had expectations for, but unfortunately the results this month are kind of showing more of what maybe we expected at the beginning of the year. Yeah. And I'll say as far as Lane Thomas goes, and maybe we can jot this down for more of a detailed conversation in a few weeks closer to the deadline, but Thomas has two years of control left. So that makes it a little more interesting as to whether or not you would keep a guy. I mean, if, if he was, in a contract year, it's a no-brainer. If he had one year left, I would even say it's probably a no-brainer. And my logic is, like, does the contract of the player and how much longer they're going to be here link up with and, and mesh with your timeline to win? I mean, there is a chance right now. We're going to get into Paul Skeens in a little bit. But if you take Paul Skeens at number two overall and you have him and Gore and Gray and Cavalli and Maybe, God forbid, you actually spend a little money on a starting pitcher next offseason or the offseason after that. In two seasons, there's no reason why you can't be a handful of games over 500 in a wild card team right now when Lane Thomas is in a walk year at that point. And maybe, ideally, with James Wood and Robert Hassel or some other combination of outfielders built around Wood, you know, possibly your third best outfielder and maybe a guy who can hit 20 homers and steal 14 bases and and hit 275 or something like that's a decent major leaguer, right? So he could help you as a competitor. So I, I think the fact that there's multiple years left makes it intriguing. I am just pretty cutthroat in my rebuilds. I think you can't get attached. Uh, you know, th there's a difference between stars and guys who perform on bad teams. Someone has to get like, you, you're not going to go 20 games without scoring. Like someone's getting the hits. Someone's getting the runs. It happens to be Lane Thomas on this bad team. Last year, he was the organizational player of the year, and he's probably going to be again. The question is, how good is he? You know, what is he on a first division team? Does his game elevate? And does he get better when you're better? I happen to think he's actually pretty good because of the way he's shown his tools and, and not just on the base paths and the power, but in the field. You know, you look at how they acquired him. We had an interview with him on, on BLB uh, several weeks back, and he was talking about how many good players there were in the Cardinal system. And it was just kind of, it wasn't like they didn't think he was good. It was just kind of a numbers crunch with one of the better organizations at the time in the minors and all of baseball. And that's sometimes how you unearth some of these gems. So I do think it's an interesting conversation. But as a general rule, I want to go on record and say, like, I am, if you're not a prospect in the system right now and or one of the young big leaguers we highlight all the time, sub, you know, 25 years old or whatever, absolutely I'm likely trading you if I can get something decent back. People will say, well, what do you get back for, you know, this guy or that guy? The, the fact is, you know, when, when you go get Riley Adams and he contributes eventually in some small capacity in the big leagues, that matters. You know, we had Drew Millis on the podcast recently. He was in AAA. He was played really well and looks like he's a better prospect maybe than people thought. Like that was an afterthought in, in a deal with Josh Harrison. The, the whole goal should just be that as many minor league players who improve your system as possible because that creates more competition, and then that competition kind of breeds more elevation of, of talent. 
And eventually, it, it doesn't matter if you get all-stars. You're not going to, right? But eventually, like, you, you have a second catcher in Adams, and you have an infielder you can call up who can play off the bench. And I think that's kind of the goal with some of these players that you can't have delusions of grandeur on. You're just not getting blue-chip prospects back for a lot of them. Yeah, and I think the thing is you have to just look at what you're going to get back. If it's not worth it and you're just going to get a couple mid-level guys and maybe you wanted a little bit more, then hold on to them. But if you can move them for something good, you have to move them. It's, you can't get attached to them. Like you said, at some point, a you know, a player on a bad team is going to put up numbers. And it's Lane Thomas this year. And like you said, I, I do think that he is a good player. I think that he's found something with his approach of looking fastball, reacting to the breaking ball that they talked about a lot in the month of May. And he had a little bit of a down spell, but it wasn't a super long one. Now he's back to hitting the long ball again in the month of June. So I think maybe he's found a little bit of something. Maybe it's something if it continues going and maybe Mike Rizzo looks at it and says, I think this guy could be a part of it. So maybe they would even look at holding on to him and maybe looking at him getting extended or something for cheap, but who knows? But I think if you could move him and get something nice for him, you absolutely do it. But at the same point, if you look at it, it's tough to continue to just move guys and bring up probably less than deserving. Uh, Alex calls solid, but I, I wouldn't say he's anything special. He's nothing great to bring him up and just fill a spot for Lane Thomas being moved. I think it's difficult. I understand that it's a business. I understand the players understand that it's a business as well, but at some point it, it is a little bit difficult, but like you said, you can't get attached to these players and, Unfortunately, it seems like maybe that's a little bit of what I've done here with Lane Thomas because he's hitting the ball so well. Yeah, and, and I mean, he's he's at least young enough, by the way. Like, that's part of the conversation too, right? It's not like he's Joey Manessis or something like that, right? Where if someone wants Joey Manessis uh, and they think as it's it's hot and in their lineup for a little more power and he's a 300-type hitter this year, uh, yeah, you move him in a heartbeat. He, he's older and he's at the end of his career in a lot of ways, even though it's just beginning uh, with the next couple of years, probably being as good as it, it's gotten uh, Lane Thomas is 27. So theoretically there's good baseball left ahead of him. So yeah, I don't think you're off base at all. I, I think there's going to be plenty of nationals fans that will likely kind of back up what you're suggesting. Um, and I, I think that actually makes a lot of sense um, specific to, you know, you mentioned call a couple times, I think Alex Call is like a really good 4A option. You know, there are other players, though, that, that they could promote. Uh, I'm not telling you that, you know, they're as good as Lane Thomas, but former major leaguer Nomar Mazzara is in their system uh, playing at AAA in the outfield. He's played a bunch of time in the big leagues. Derek Hill has major league time and is hitting 326 at the AAA level. Uh, Jake Alou, I don't, I don't think he's an outfielder by any means, but they could put him out in left field and kind of swing some things around and, and make some things work. Uh, just looking at the AAA level and AA, you obviously have James Wood. Now, whether or not they have him in the big leagues this year, I'm not sure. Uh, same about Robert Hassel, who who draws a lot of walks. Um, at the AA level as well, um, there are other outfield options that are interesting to me, including Blake Rutherford, who's a former first-round pick who's kind of killed the ball this year. We haven't talked a lot about him, but um, he's really interesting in this system. I, I don't have any thoughts that he's like going to be a, an all-star a superstar or anything like that. But uh, this is a guy who is now 26 years old and has kind of bounced around uh, organizations after being an 18th overall pick. And if you look at his numbers this season in the minor leagues in uh, 34 games, I, I think he may have just gotten promoted to AAA as a matter of fact, uh, playing the last couple of days, he's hitting 
uh, over 300 in multiple stops, a 350 average with eight home runs and a 1024 OPS. Uh, for his minor league career, he's about a 280 hitter with about a 750 OPS. But you know, maybe he's figuring something out. So they would have options and and actually some interesting um, kind of prospects that that might be worth it and that you would consider bringing up and and seeing what happens. But uh, I think they got a big decision to make with Lane Thomas. There's no doubt about that. My lean right now would be to trade him because I just think his value is going to be at, at a high that, that you're not going to get back. Like the market is pretty thin this year. I mean, if he becomes one of the best available players in the outfield, you might be able to get a team, like a legitimate prospect for him, which is crazy to think about a month or two ago. But if that's the case, that like it's hard to turn that down for a team yeah. in, in their build mode. I don't want you to think that I'm, I don't want to trade him. The idea here is if you're not getting what you think he's worth, don't trade him. But if you're getting something that's really nice in return, go ahead and move him. Like I he's have one no value. issue with it. Yes, exactly. You don't want to do a Bradley Beal trade is what you're saying. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm so happy about that Bradley Beal trade, which <laughs> I guess is for another podcast on another. Uh, well, that's for what, what would be the equivalent of busting loose baseball? Uh, uh, something basketball. What do they play at Wizards games? Uh, that would be like uh, let it fly basketball or something. Who knows? <laughs> right. I, uh, mumbo sauce basketball or I'm trying to think of like what's the, the DC anthem? Uh, I haven't been to enough Wizards games to tell you. So there, there's like a DC song. Uh, I'll think of it in a second. But uh, yeah, that's for a different pod. All right. Uh, one other thing really quickly before we get to Paul Skeens. Just looking at the Nats so far this year, this is weird, and, and it's kind of apropos of nothing. But as someone who's gone to a ton of home games at Nats Park, have you noticed how much worse they are at home than on the road this year? Yeah, they're terrible at home. It's stunning. So on the road, they're basically, you know, they're mediocre. They're they're 15 and 19, I think, most recently. But they've actually got a plus nine run margin. Like, they've outscored their opponents. They're they're a legitimate team that, that you they come to your place and you better buckle up. They're, they're going to give you a series at home. They are 12 and 24 and they have been outscored by over 60 runs. They are terrible at Nationals Park. And it's just I mean, it's discouraging. I, I, you and I are both there a lot. I'm there, you know, a couple times a homestand. But it does make you feel worse in the grand scheme of things. Every time you go, it feels like they're getting their teeth kicked in. I don't get it. It's very, very odd. Maybe it's a schedule thing, uh, who you've played where early in the season. But very, very, very annoying when you go to Nats Park. You almost never see them win. Yeah, it's odd. It, you can expect maybe one out of every three games to win at home, and then you have the Marlins come into town, and it doesn't seem like they can beat them wherever. But it is frustrating that at Nationals Park, there aren't any – this year, I can think of a couple of good outings, and they're all on the road. You know, it's similar to honestly that World Series year. All the good memories were on the road. There weren't any, that many great memories at Nationals Park, and obviously, this isn't a World Series year. But this year, there's not many great memories at Nationals Park either. No, it just it makes you feel better and different if you're going to games and the team is thriving. You know, when you're there or just winning and it just it give the vibes are better. You almost want to flip it where they're 15 and 19 at home plus nine. And then it's like when they're on the road and less people, maybe you're paying attention. You're certainly not taking people to the game and spending all that money. It, it would just feel a little bit different. But just something I wanted to bring up. Also diving into some of the splits uh, as far as the season. They played their first extra inning game of the year the other night. Mm -hmm. 
They had not played one extra inning game until this past homestand. That's crazy. I don't remember going that deep into a season without an extra inning game. And they tried their hardest not to do that. They The day before were looking like they were going to do it, and then you had the non-called interference, and then it looked like you were headed to extra innings again, and the Nationals scored a run, and then they gave up a run. And, yeah, it was all over the place. They were trying to avoid it, but they finally got their first extra innings game. But, hey, credit to the Nats putting up some runs in the top of the 10th. Maybe that's their key. Maybe they need to get into extra innings games because they put up three runs in the top of the 10th there. So maybe that's what they need. Also, 22 one-run games at this point. You and I talked on a recent pod about how many close games they were playing, and I wanted to look up some of the numbers. They're 8-14 and 14 in one-run games. If you just flip that, so I'm not saying anything crazy, but right, but you, you just kind of flip the results in one-run games, and you look at their record now all of a sudden, you know, they are uh, – it's, it's a very, very different season. Um, so – you know, they're, they're much closer to 500. Those games generally go either way. Uh, some of it is managerial decisions. Some of it is just, in this case, I don't, I don't know that Davies botching things as often as uh, you have a terrible bullpen. There's no yeah. good answer. So when you're going to your bullpen and you're trying to find the, uh, you said something that I've, I've said so many times since you said it on the pod. I thought it was one of the great comments of busting loose baseball of the season. Davey's basically choosing which reliever he wants to blow the game. Like it's just that that's what it is at times. It feels like with this bullpen and that you're going to have a bad one run uh, record when you can't protect leads or when you're tied, uh, not give up runs. Yeah. I mean, if the bullpen were better, you know, this team would have more of a chance, but at the same point, that's encouraging that they're playing close baseball games because they weren't all the time last year. They're playing closer baseball games. It's frustrating to see them lose. But at the same point, we understand what this season is. It wasn't about wins and losses. We said that at the beginning of the year, and then they started playing decent baseball, and it felt like you cared more about the wins and losses again. And now they're kind of back to where we expected them to be, where at least they're playing competitive baseball, but they're not finding ways to win these things. You'd love to see the bullpen be a little bit better, but this is just kind of where they're at right now. Jordan Weems has pitched pretty well since coming back up from the minor leagues, I thought. Uh, inning in a strikeout against the Astros, inning in two-thirds, a perfect relief with two punches against the Marlins, and then he pitched again uh, in the second game of that series and had a perfect inning, uh, three up, three down, on the 17th against Miami. So if, if you're just looking at his season so far now, he has an ERA of 2.16. He's got nine strikeouts and eight and a third innings and just three hits, an average against of 111, a whip of .7. I mean, it's very, very early, but it's a lot of ground balls. I mean, he's not a kid by any means. He's 30 years old, but they do have to find an answer. Like, it, it's almost stunning that with all of the options they've called up and given chances to from the minor leagues, like, it, it shouldn't be this hard to just find a guy who can pitch in the seventh inning, you know, without having uh, walk problems or a four ERA. So maybe he'll be the answer now. Well, and they found him, and Mason Thompson looks like he's getting a little bit back to his early season form. Maybe. He got overworked early in the year. They're starting to find some guys like Corey Abbott had a nice outing the other day, three innings, a scoreless ball. So maybe they're finding some guys that can help them out because the problem was, and we mentioned it before, you can only turn to Edwards, Finnegan and Harvey so many times every week. And those were the only guys that relied on. And at this point too, how much can you rely on those guys? Cause they're struggling as well. So they need to find someone, and it looks like Weems maybe has a little bit of a hot streak going. Maybe Thompson has found some form again. Maybe Abbott can give you some innings. They just need to find someone, and even if it's only a guy that can give you some good outings for a week or two, 
they just need to find something. And it seems like they're searching and searching and they haven't necessarily found it yet, but hopefully they can find it soon. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. See you later. All right, let's get to Paul Skeens of LSU uh, because I thought what he did in the College World Series on Saturday night was just remarkable. Uh, for those of you that aren't tracking him, this is the guy we've been telling you to, to watch because there's a really good chance he's the Nats pick at number two. Uh, he went seven and two-third innings against Tennessee, one of the best teams in the country, threw five hit ball, allowed two runs, although no runs until his 123rd pitch of the game right at the end of his start, and then an inherited runner came around. But he struck out 12. His 122nd pitch was clocked at 101. He threw 46 pitches at 100 miles an hour or more. The Major League Baseball record for a game in one start of 100-mile-an-hour pitches. Last year, Hunter Green of the Reds set the record at 39. So Skeens blew past that by seven pitches, obviously, in college, so he doesn't get the record just yet, but indicative of the fact that if he can stay healthy, he'll break the record in the big leagues as soon as he gets there. Uh, on the season now, these numbers, Toby, are just staggering. 18 starts, 16 of them, he's gone at least six innings. He's massive, he's 6'6", he's a workhorse. He goes deep into these games. In 18 starts, 14 times, he struck out at least 10. He averages 11 strikeouts per start. And with his 12 punchies on Saturday night, he's got 200 on the season. So he's now two away from Ben McDonald's SEC record, which he will set when he pitches next for LSU as they go deeper into the College World Series, assuming nothing goes sideways here. But just absolutely staggering to watch him. My question is, I guess it's twofold. Number one, is there any chance the Nats don't take him if he's there when they pick it two because the Pirates took Dylan Cruz, presumably? And we, we can answer that one first. And then the second question is, is there any chance the Pirates actually consider taking Paul Skeens? Let's just say LSU goes on a run and he pitches a couple more times like that. I mean, can he go first overall and just look so special and so unique that the Pirates feel like, hey, we don't get a chance to draft aces. We can't pay for guys like this in free agency. Remember, they took Garrett Cole 1-1 back in 2011. Different organization, you know, different front office, probably a different mindset on, on bat versus arm analytically uh, a decade ago. But uh, let's start with the first question first. Assuming Cruz goes 1-1, do you think there's any chance the Nats wouldn't take Skeens? And similarly, do you think there's a – should they consider not taking him and going with, like, Wyatt Lankford, who has hit a couple of missiles, including a huge late-inning home run, 
in this College World Series this weekend as well? I don't think there's any chance. I think they're pretty set on taking one of the LSU guys, whichever one the Pirates don't take. And, you know, if Cruz goes one, I think Skeens is the picket two. And you look at it, this is a team that when they've been at their best, they're built through the starting pitching. And they would have a chance to roll out a rotation in a couple of years of Skeens, Gore, Gray, Cavalli, Henry maybe, or Rutledge, or maybe they sign someone. And that could be your your, your – cornerstone of your franchise right there is the starting pitching that could be your foundation having those guys and getting a guy like Skeens allows some of these guys to lower some of the expectations right like right now with Gore in the organization and no one really ahead of him in terms of being an ace you kind of want him to be a one or at least a two same thing with Gray you kind of bump him up a spot you bring in Skeens it allows those guys to relax a little bit. If Gore doesn't ever become the true number one, but he settles into a number two, it's fine. If Gray doesn't become a number two or a number three settles in as a four, it's probably okay. If Cavalli is just a back end of the rotation guy, it's fine because you've got Paul Skeens and then you can go sign a guy to fill out the rotation. So if it's just a pick between him or anyone else and not Cruz, I don't think there's any chance they don't take Skeens. Yeah, I think they're going to take Skeens. I'm very, very confident in that. I just think they're, to your point, they're a pitching model organization, right? I mean, as long as Rizzo, and assuming, you know, Rizzo and, and this group is running this organization, they're going to take great starting pitching when they get a chance to. And this is unique. I mean, I, I am a bad overarm guy, so I guess you could say I disagree with maybe their, their general philosophy at the top of the board a little bit. And even I would take Skeens at this point over Langford. It's it's just, it's too special, right? It, it, you don't get chances at guys like this very often. And while I think Langford's the real deal, and I love the power, and I think he's going to be a stud, I think there are guys like him in the draft most years. That's just not the case with Paul Skeens. So first question answered for both of us, I guess, is if he's there, they take him. Uh, I'm really confident in that. I, I would take him. It sounds like you would as well. So what about the second question then? Do you think there's any chance that the Pirates, who are a little bit different than the Nats, I, I don't like using the word analytics to say bat over arm because it's not that simple, but I think they're more kind of model-minded. Uh, Cruz, to me, is still the better prospect, um, not necessarily because there's any issues with schemes. It's just the, the when you bake in, do you remember the movie Along Came Polly? I've never seen that, no. You've never seen Along Came Polly with... Uh, uh, Ben Stiller and uh, um, he's play, he plays a guy named Ruben Pfeffer. So uh, essentially the, the movie is he's a risk management like uh, analyst. So he looks at every situation and he tells you what is the chance that this is bad. So you're sitting next to him at a bar and he's like, Toby, don't eat those nuts in that bowl. 42 people have touched that bowl and, and uh, they've had this many germs and now there's an 11% chance you'll get sick this week. So anyway, I, I bring that up to say, when you use the Ruben Pfeffer, uh, along came Polly, like algorithm, and you say, well, Skeens gets hurt, it's going to be, you know, possible TJ, whereas if Cruz gets hurt, maybe it's only for a month with an oblique or whatever. I think he's the better prospect when you, you crunch all those numbers. He plays up the middle. He's going to stay in center field for me. He's going to hit for average and power. So if I was the Pirates, I would take Dylan Cruz. I think if, if, if they were to take Skeens, I would do – I can't do a cartwheel, but I would do a, a cartwheel if I was a Nats fan to get Dylan Cruz. But I just wonder what would have to happen or if it is possible. Like, Skeens is becoming such a sensation. 
He's becoming a celebrity. And that kind of matters for a market like that a little bit. Is there anything that could lead to them maybe heavily considering taking him one overall? Well, you're a little bit more versed in the prospects in the draft than I am. What is the ceiling for a guy like Cruz as a, opposed to a ceiling like Skeens? Because if you look at Skeens, and I think someone laid it out on Nat's Twitter very well, looking at Skeens, that's a guy that has a ceiling of potentially being a top five player in all of baseball. Not just pitcher, but like a top five player. Does Cruz have that same type of ceiling? He might be the safer prospect. I think this is the classic you know, lower ceiling, higher floor. You know what you're going to get with a guy like Cruz. And there's, you, you know what you're going to get with Skeens for the most part, but there is that injury risk. Who has the higher ceiling? Is it Skeens? Yes, probably. Skeens, to me, has a chance to win Cy Young Awards, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think Cruz profiles as a guy who's going to win MVP awards, if that's what you're asking. Now, here's the difference, though. Dylan Cruz is going to stay in center field. So there is really just an inherent debate in what's more valuable, a really good center fielder or an ace starting pitcher. And I know that you got to determine, well, how good is the ace and how good is the center fielder? But I think that's an instructive exercise. Like a number one starter is probably as valuable as a terrific center fielder. But like that's a legit conversation. The center fielder is going to give you especially a guy hitting toward the top of your order. I think he probably hits like second when it's all set and done. You know, a two-hitting center fielder type who gets on base, hits for average, and might hit 17 to 20 home runs and play pretty solid to good defense. Is that as valuable as a, as a number one starter? Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Like, pick a really good center fielder in baseball right now who, who makes an all-star team. Um, so I think therein lies the conversation. Like, I know... A good center fielder is more valuable than a number three starter, number four starter. Is he more valuable than a number two starter? Yeah, I would say so. When you get to ace versus stellar center fielder, maybe now you've got a true conversation. But now you need Skeens to have to be an ace. Like if he, uh, see, remember Strasburg used to throw 100. Uh, at some point in his career, he was kind of 94 to 96. And I'm not saying he wasn't exceptional. He was. But like if Skeens becomes a, a second starter type, which I don't see, I think he's going to be better than that. And Cruz is an all-star center fielder. Now, all of a sudden, his ceiling's still higher. But I guess it's a long-winded way of saying, to me, if both of them max out, I'd rather have Skeens because Skeens is Verlander or Skeens is, you know, the, the best pitcher in the league a couple times. It, the, the risk is just so great, and there's yeah. very little risk in terms of injury and, frankly, even skill, I'd say, with Dylan Cruz. Well, and, you know, going back to our original question, would the Pirates ever consider that? That would be it right there. If they look at it and say, we're drafting Justin Verlander, number one overall, and we can keep this guy for a little while. We might not be able to pay him down the road, but we can have an ace on our organization in a team that really has been a lot better than people expected this season. So maybe they look at it and say, if we can get this guy up in the bigs in a couple of years and we're still playing good baseball, maybe we can have our ace spend a little more money on starting pitching and we can compete I think that would be the route for the Pirates to consider going with Skeens at one overall is if they look at it and say, this guy's ceiling is just too high. We can maybe find another outfielder. You know, we have Brian Reynolds secured for a little while. Let's try and get this ace and let's move up, you know, take Skeens here and secure having that number one pitcher. Dang, zoom. All right, quick dive into the system here at the end of the pod, as we like to do. I did talk to somebody in the Nats organization just to make sure everything is going okay with Jake Bennett. 
Uh, he went about 11 days without pitching from June 6th to the 17th. He's their second round pick last year. Uh, I was told that they're just skipping starts with some of their young arms, something that they do to, to keep guys fresher and to help their arms. So no harm, no foul. Uh, he pitched on the sixth and went five innings, one run with eight strikeouts in his first start in a plus ball. He made his second start for Wilmington in a plus just a couple of days ago on Saturday. And he threw four shutout innings uh, with just three hits allowed on the season in 11 starts. Bennett has a 1.70 ERA and 64 strikeouts in 51 innings as a college arm at Oklahoma, the 45th pick in the draft last year. You know, he's finally now going to get tested a little bit at the a plus level, but I saw on Twitter and, and some places uh, with, you know, Nats folks asking me, like, what's going on with Bennett and where is he? And uh, I think it was just kind of all part of the plan. So I wanted to pass that along. As far as the last week and a half in the system, I'll throw some guys out who had a good week and a half. You can pounce on whatever you want to, Toby. Uh, Jake Alou, who we saw get to the big leagues earlier this year, uh, in 39 at-bats over the last 10 days or so in the system, leading all Nationals prospects with an 1167 OPS. Dalen Lyle, the 20-year-old in A-ball at Fredericksburg, had a couple of homers in the last week and a half. He had four steals in that time. He's had a really solid season, 281 hitter in the last 10 games. Uh, he had a 1034 OPS, second best in the system. Uh, he's ranked by MLB Pipeline, the number 15 prospect in the Nats system. Uh, I think if I did a ranking today, he would rank pretty well higher than that. Uh, Jared McKenzie was an interesting guy who played college ball, who's 23rd in the system via MLB Pipeline, 22-year-old. 838 OPS, third best the last week and a half in the system. And we got another couple James Wood home runs this week, including a bomb over the weekend. So for your James Wood update, Tobe, I know that's your guy. How about James Wood now, the 20-year-old in double A, starting to string together some power here. Uh, he has 60 games, 220 at-bats, 12 home runs, and a 920 OPS right now. That guy is just going to be incredible. And every single time I see one of his videos on Twitter of him hitting another home run or him doing something spectacular in center field, I have to remind myself that he's just in double A and I don't want to put the expectations too, too high. But this guy looks like he's going to have a sky high ceiling whenever he gets to the big leagues. And I couldn't be more excited to see him finally get there whenever it is. And hopefully they don't rush it. Hopefully they give him the time to develop and hopefully he can, you know, continue to get better. But the fact that it took him a few games to get comfortable at double A and now he's just hitting bombs at double A, you know, it's one of those things that you could see him whenever he gets called up triple A, same sort of thing where maybe he struggles for three, four games. Maybe it's a little longer. He struggles for a week or two and then he figures it out. And then it makes you think that maybe that's something that could happen at the big leagues at some point in the next couple of years. And I'm excited. Just the guy has so many tools. We've talked about him a ton of times, so I don't want to, you know, beat the dead horse here, but I think we all understand the potential with James Wood is so high and just seeing him to continue to hit the ball. Well at double a, it just more encouraging that this guy is going to be really, really good. One pitcher I want to call attention to who's had a hot last week and a half or so. And his last two starts is Mitchell Parker, who is a 23 year old in double a for the nationals, 11 innings and just two runs over his last two starts, uh, just eight strikeouts in that time. But he's done a better job here keeping the ball in the ballpark and, and throwing strikes, which has kind of been his issue. Uh, four walks in those 11 innings and just one home run given up. So an ERA in that time of 1.64. But Mitchell Parker, 23 years old, an interesting guy who last year had great numbers in the Sally League uh, in Wilmington, uh, 2.88 ERA in 100 innings. He struck out 117 batters with a 208 average against. Numbers are pretty crooked this year. 
ERA's over five, but the peripherals are actually way better than that. 52 innings, just 45 hits, 54 strikeouts. Average against is 228. The problem is he just walks, again, too many batters. 33 walks in 52 innings this year. So one of the guys that I'm keeping tabs on. All right, looking ahead now for the Nationals. Cardinals are in town. Excited to see Jordan Walker and some of the faces from St. Louis who are coming into the ballpark. Uh, your thoughts as we turn our attention back to the big leagues here. End of busting loose baseball. If you would have told me that the Cardinals were coming into the t- into town end of June and the Nationals would be two wins behind them, Cardinals come in at twenty nine and forty three, the Nationals at twenty seven and forty three. I would not have believed you because I thought that the Cardinals would be a legitimate World Series contender, or at least for sure contending in their division. And at this point, they are not. Maybe they'll go on a late run like they always seem to do. But it's crazy to see where they're at. But it is going to be fun to see them in town with Goldschmidt and Arenado. And the thing for them that has really stunk is their pitching has not been great. And it seems like some of their guys are starting to get it figured out again at the plate. But it's really crazy to me that this is a series that if the Nationals were to find a way to win most of these games or even sweep, they'd have a better record or just as good a record as the St. Louis Cardinals at this point in the season. We have a comment to read today. I told you guys, I want some subscriptions. I want some ratings, only if they're five stars. Some reviews. We're going to read your comments. We are not above that on Bustin' Loose Baseball. Uh, I don't know. If we, if, if we have to, we'll have to start like Venmoing a dollar per comment. Is that legal? Can we do that? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm not promising that, so that, that won't hold up in court. Actually, I'm, we're not going to. Darius, make sure you put that in bold. We're not going to Venmo a dollar. But having said that, we will read your comments, and thank you. I heart Shakira. Oh, baby, when you... Is it talk like that? Move like that. You make... I don't remember. Uh, I must listen for Nats fans. Longtime listener of GND's flagship show, Bustin' Loose Baseball expands on GND's Nats segments with thoughtful conversations, memorable anecdotes, and interesting analysis of our beloved Nats. Excellent work. From Grant and Danny and Darius and Toby, if you love the Nats, you'll love every episode of Boston Loose Baseball. There we go. I heart Shakira. Yeah, thanks, Shakira. Uh, Shakira is wonderful, by the way. Very, very talented. Um, Shakira and, um, oh, who was it? Jennifer Lopez at the Super Bowl yep. halftime show. Mm-hmm. You sleep, Toby. That was a great Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. I watched for the games, but that halftime show was very good as well. Let's run that one back. I'll do that again. All right. If you uh, missed any part of our recent interviews or BLBs, they're all available in archive for you. You can listen segment by segment or just listen all at once as you're doing stuff around the house. We're going to be back later in the week. So enjoy this Nationals Cardinals series coming up. A couple of day games over at the park. Hopefully you can get out of office and uh, check some of them out. But we'll keep you abreast of everything going on as we get closer to the draft in the system and at the big league level. That'll do it for producer Darius and Toby. I'm Grant saying so long for busting loose baseball.